Well, good morning. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Uh, my name is Obi. I'm the pastor to young adults, and I'm young adults. There we go. And I'm not Pastor Doug, as you could guess by that uh, introduction. But Pastor Doug is actually here today. So a few times ago when I preached, I made a joke about him never uh, being at any of my messages uh, when I filled in for him. And he was supposed to be in Israel, and uh, it was canceled, I don't think, because of me. But uh, he came to the first service, and he's here again, uh, hopefully not taking assessment of me. Um, but if you are a guest here, we want to welcome you. If you're watching online, we want to welcome you. Do open your Bible to the book of Genesis. So um, usually when I uh, preach, I, I have a lot of different notes. And uh, today we're going to jump around so much that I didn't even give uh, the tech guys uh, the passages. So we're going to be in Genesis 1 just all over it, and then they're going to put four verses on the screen for you at the appropriate time. So Genesis chapter 1, and we're talking about five things that God did at creation. Um, and I want to talk to you about perspective. Now, usually when, um, when we talk about New Year's Eve at all, um, a lot of times we're talking about resolutions, things like that. Uh, we're not going to talk about that today. Those are uh, perfectly fine, but uh, you know, some of you will keep them, and the rest of us uh, will not, um, and we'll try again next year. Luckily, we get to try again each year. Um, so when we talk about perspective, though, and perspective specifically of a new year, a lot of times we think about what perspective should I have as I go through things, or uh, something good happened, something bad happened, what perspective should I have? Well, I mean something, I guess, maybe a little more complex than that, a little, little weirder maybe. When we talk about perspective of 2021, perspective of 2022, I want to think about just the fact that you exist at all. We're going to talk about five things that God did at creation, and they have important implications about the fact that you exist at all and the perspective you bring to the fact that you're sitting there right now at all. And so I'm going to begin by taking a snapshot just of, of the year 2021 that we just went through. And, and we know that we'll have a snapshot at the end of 2022. And if I just said, give me your snapshot of what the year meant to you, you would have some different highlights, right? Maybe they're good highlights. Maybe they're bad highlights. Maybe you had some sort of achievement or some sort of loss in your life. Um, you, you have a snapshot. Well, globally, we have a snapshot, too. And if I just said, okay, what about the world? If I just asked you, what about the world, the snapshot that the whole world has, you'd probably have some highlights. And I, I could think of maybe two, <laughs> COVID, right, that uh, we're not only experiencing COVID, but we're uh, fighting quite fiercely over COVID, um, and then division over politics, right? I mean, if we're just to say a highlight of, of 2021, what does it look like? What's the snapshot? Those two things will be top on our list. I've got a few more that I'm going to start with a negative one. That's probably a bad idea for a sermon, but I'm going to start with uh, the negative one. I made the shorter list, though, so I don't lose you. So you may not know this, but globally, more than 400,000 people were murdered in 2021. Like I said, I was starting with a bad one, right? 400,000 people were murdered in 2021. If you just think about if we could just capture earth and just say, what is going on in earth? We'd say a lot of different things that were important to us, but globally, 400,000 people were killed in 2021. Um, this is a stat that's just on average because I found different uh, websites that had a different number. But according to the World Health Organization, around 73 million induced abortions take place worldwide each year. Again, it, that fluctuates year to year, but the average 73 million induced abortions globally. 
So if we're just to say, what's the highlights on earth? Those two things may not be on our list, but if you talk about the preciousness of life, those are high things that are happening globally. Well, I'm not going to spend my whole time on problems. I want to talk about some of man's achievements. Now, I'm going to throw a lot of facts at you today. So here's how I want you to kind of receive these. I'm going to talk really fast and say a lot of facts, and you're probably going to try to write it down. You don't have to do that. It's recorded. Go back, do that later. What I want you to hear is the implications. So I'll slow down at the implications. The rest of that is I just want to help adjust your perspective, your perspective as you sit right there in your seat. And so we're going to talk about man's achievements. Now, I picked some nerdy achievements because that tends to be how I think. Uh, They're specifically about space. Uh, Me and my middle child, we both love space things. So if I'm sitting there watching TV with my kids uh, and the other two get a pick, it's something in my opinion is lame. But uh, if if me or my other kid get a pick, we're like, ooh, click on that that video. It's something about space. And the other two roll their eyes and they leave. And then me and him get to watch about space and peace. So man's achievements. Did you know this, that there were three successful missions to Mars in 2021? Three successful missions to Mars. So they're going to put some pictures up on the screen. So uh, NASA's Mars Perseverance rover landed on the surface along with the Ingenuity helicopter. There's a helicopter on Mars. I don't know if you knew that, but that's a pretty awesome thing. And so uh, United Arab Emirates and China also had successful missions to Mars. Second thing. NASA also launched a probe into the sun. It's called the Parker probe, and it entered the atmosphere of the sun. That happened this past year. We sent a man-made object into the atmosphere of the sun. I didn't even know the sun had an atmosphere. I just thought it was a big thing of fire and, like, don't go close to it, right? But we sent something into the atmosphere of the sun. And then the one that I think is actually the most significant, on Christmas Day, so just like eight days ago, the James Webb Space Telescope launch. Anybody follow that James Webb Telescope? Give me a show of hands. Anybody follow? Look, come on. Some people are like giving me a half raise hand. Be proud. Come on. All right. Several of us. I like it. Appreciate that back there. All right. So the James Webb Telescope launch. This is a significant moment. Um, it is kind of the replacement for the Hubble Telescope. And so the Hubble Telescope. Uh, You've probably heard of it. You may not know its significance, but if you watch any movies and they have just this gorgeous picture of space, then it was probably taken by the Hubble telescope. Uh, This James Webb telescope is supposed to be 100 times more powerful. Now, what makes Hubble significant compared to other telescopes is it's not land-mounted. It's not here on Earth. It's orbiting the Earth. Well, the James Webb is actually going to orbit the sun one million miles away from Earth. So we have no idea what it's going to show us, but that is quite an accomplishment. So if we think of, again, a snapshot, there's been some bad, some terrible, and there's been some amazing, like extraordinary things. We touched the atmosphere of the sun. We sent a telescope into space. These are extraordinary things. But if we also thought of a spiritual snapshot, the Southern Baptist Convention reported in 2021 So these numbers are actually from 2020. We won't get the 2021 numbers until later in 2022. So 123,160 baptisms, which is awesome. Every soul matters. It is awesome. It is down from the year before, but 123,000 baptisms within the Southern Baptist Convention. Or if you're just to look at the United States as a whole and not, um, not... just the Southern Baptist Convention, 63% of Americans identified as Christian. Now, that may sound like really good to you, but it's decreased by like 15% over approximately the last 15 years. And even that number, 63%, if you think about that, that's not too much over half. 
right, in the, the most powerful country that's ever existed, the most affluent country, the, I mean, the, the greatest country that's ever existed, just a little over half identify as Christian. And let's be real, when they say Christian, they use that term very loosely. When they say Christian, they don't necessarily mean that someone understands the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so that number of, of true born-again believers is significantly lower. Or if we we're just to make it maybe more personal, here at First Baptist O'Fallon in the year 2021, we baptized 59 people, which is awesome. We, of course, want to always lead more people to Christ and baptize more, but we celebrate 59 baptisms in this past year. So what if I asked about your snapshot? Like if I just said for you, what's a snapshot of the year? You would have, uh, man, if you had a tragedy, if you had a loss, if you had a problem with a job, Maybe you got a new job. Maybe you had an accomplishment, got married, something like that. Those are the types of things that affect your snapshot. But here's where I want to start to talk about perspective. All those things happened all the while. All this happened on this privileged planet, this pale blue dot in the cosmos that we call Earth. Which, while we're experiencing this year, in fact, while we're experiencing this very moment, Earth orbits around the sun through a nearly perfect vacuum of, a sp of space at a speed of nearly 67,000 miles per hour. Meanwhile, the entire solar, solar system in which our Earth resides orbits the center of the Milky Way galaxy at about 500,000 miles per hour. Meanwhile, our entire galaxy travels through space at approximately 1.3 million miles per hour. And you're sitting there in a pew feeling none of it. I want to start to shift our perspective as we think of not just God getting us through things, but our, our perspective, our, our very existence. So today I want to talk to you about the first week of the first year of our existence and the perspective you should have towards it because the world's perspective has some problems. So it's, first thing I want to talk about is the scientific perspective of our culture. Now, we can't just necessarily blame science, but definitely how our culture has approached science is wrong. And I think the most glaring example is that we, we now tout theories as if they're a fact. So I was talking to my brother about this, that, um, this very problem, and I was talking about a Netflix thing that I, I had been watching, and I just saw again, probably with my middle child, that there's this uh, space thing, everything we know about the cosmos, and I was like, ooh, I'm going to click on that, that looks good, and so I start watching this, and it very quickly devolved away from things about the cosmos that we observe to things they think, and so they said, well, how does, how do we have water on earth? How, how, is there, how is there so much water here on earth? And they didn't say God said, let there be, and there was water, right? That's not, that's not the solution that they came up with. What they said was, well, there was probably an asteroid of some sort that had all sorts of, of water on it, and it crashed into the earth, and, and that's how the, the water got there. Of course, they didn't solve the problem of how the asteroid had water, but, but they said that's probably how it happened. But then they quickly made a shift, and I noted this. They stopped saying that's probably how it happened. They started saying, since this happened. And they talked about it like it was fact. And so we can't just blame one documentary on Netflix, but what we can see is it is pervasive in our culture to say theory is fact. It is taught in our universities. It is taught, uh, it is taught in media. It is the so social and cultural norm to believe that things like macroevolution or big picture evolution, which would be the transition of one species to another, it is the norm in our society to believe things like that. In fact, it is less likely that a person will believe the very first verse 
of the very first chapter, the very first book of the greatest book ever written, the Bible. It is more likely that someone will believe in macroevolution than they will believe in Scripture. And that's a problem. It's a problem first because it's not true, but it's also a problem because there's so many glaring holes, so many difficulties. If you were to read uh, Darwin's book that made him famous, that touts his theory called The Origin of Species, in his own book he pokes holes in his theory, and one of those he says the gravest objection to his theory is that there's an absence of the fossil record. And so what he means by this is if we're going to have all these transitions, like you think of the famous picture on the cover of his book where you have like this little monkey that eventually becomes a man, right? And so you have all these transitional links. What we should see in archaeology is that there was, oh, here's a monkey, and here's somewhere part between a monkey, and then here's a man. And we shouldn't just see it occasionally. We should see it everywhere because every species developed from this primordial soup until what they are today. That's what we should see, but we don't. And Darwin acknowledged that we don't. And what he said was, well, I think that once we get more into archaeology, then, then the record will, will show the belief. The problem is that hasn't happened. In fact, you may have heard of something called the Cambrian Explosion, which is a period of time where it's called the Cambrian Explosion because all of a sudden all biological life comes to being during a small period, which wouldn't give time for this slow process of evolution, and there's not these transitional links. And so instead of seeing this slow process of evolution, what you see is a picture almost like someone spoke and things came to be instantaneously. And that's what you see. And that doesn't even deal with the, the most difficult problem, even if they could prove all those other things, which they haven't. What they can't say is what came before the Big Bang. Like, what, why do we have anything at all? Why do I sit here today? Why are you there in your pew today? Why is there existence? Why is there matter at all? There has to be something before. It's the cosmological argument that anything that has a beginning must have an exterior cause. The universe, the earth, they have a beginning. Therefore, they must have an exterior cause. That's why... In Scripture, in Exodus, in John, we see God described as I am, the self-existent one. So we have a problem today. Our culture's view rejects the very first verse of the first chapter of the first book of the greatest book ever written. And that's where we're going to start today, where we try to shift our perspective. So let's look at Genesis chapter 1 and verse 1. It says, In the beginning... God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness covered the surface of the watery depths, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. Then God said, Let there be light. And there was light. And I told you I'm going to skip all around, so follow with me closely. Go to verse 6. Then God said, Let there be an expanse between the waters, separating water from water. So God made the expanse and separated the water under the expanse from the water above the expanse, and it was so. I hope you hear what I'm highlighting here. God says, let there be, and it was so. Look at verse 9. Then God said, let the water under the sky be gathered into one place and let the dry land appear, and it was so. God called the dry land earth, and the gathering of the waters he called seas, and God saw that it was good. Then God said, let the earth produce vegetation, seed-bearing plants, and fruit trees on the earth, bearing fruit with seed in it according to their kinds. And it was so. Verse 14, look at that. Then God said, Let there be lights in the expanse of the sky to separate the day from the night. 
They will serve as signs for seasons and for days and years. They will be lights in the expanse of the sky to provide light on earth. And it was so. Go down to verse 20. Then God said, let the water swarm with living creatures and let birds fly above the earth, across the expanse of the sky. So God created the large creatures and every living creature that moves and swarms in the water according to their kinds. He created every winged creature according to its kind and God saw that it was good. Go to verse 24. Then God said, let the earth produce living creatures according to their kinds, livestock creatures that crawl and the wildlife of the earth according to their kinds. And it was so. Look at verse 26. Then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. They will rule the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, the livestock, the whole earth, and the creatures that crawl on the earth. So God created man in his own image. He created him in the image of God. He created them male and female. I want to talk about the things we believe today and the implications of those beliefs. And I hope you heard me say loud and clear that God created and it was so. The first thing that God did at creation is the most obvious one. God created. And yet it's the one that's most under attack. It's the one that, that is really the foundation for all these other things that God did. And there's going to be implications for those. But God created. And so here's the difficulty is Oftentimes, people try to poke holes in this. They may say, well, that's, that's not literal. That's, that's not real. When I see in Scripture, the Bible says God said something and it happened. If I start to undermine that, then I undermine the whole thing. And I believe Scripture not just blindly, but because there's reasons to believe. Things like prophecy. But the most important one is the person of Jesus Christ. The person of Jesus Christ is a real man attested in history, lived a life, died on a cross, and rose again. Attested in history. If you don't believe me, then read a book like Case for Christ. It's amazing to see the evidence surrounding Jesus Christ. And Jesus said in Scripture, search the Scriptures, for they are they that testify of me. Jesus endorsed Scripture. So if Jesus believes in Scripture, and I believe in Jesus, then Scripture says, God said, let there be and it was so, and therefore I believe it. And it'd be one thing if there were different places in Scripture that made me think that, oh, God was just using some sort of myth or, or some sort of story to make me feel differently. But Scripture time and time again attests to this. I have a few verses they're going to put on. We're going to look at three passages really quick of different parts of Scripture that attest to creation. John chapter 1, verses 1 through 3 says, In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. All things were created through Him, and apart from Him, not one thing was created that has been created. And we know from verse 14 of that chapter, I didn't put it in your notes, but, but verse 14 of that chapter tells us that it was Jesus who was with God the Father. So Jesus spoke the world into creation. In the Gospel of John, it is presented as literal. Colossians chapter 1, verse 16 and 17 says, For everything was created by him in heaven and on earth, the visible and the invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and by him all things hold together. So not just that they exist, 
Not just that you're here because of God. He's not just a God who said, let it be, and then I'm going to stand off and watch. He's a God that continues to hold things together, including you. Scripture talks about the breath of your lungs and the beat of your heart, that he makes those things continue to happen. We have a God who says, let it be, and it happens, and it's attested in Scripture. Look at Psalm 33. Psalm 33, verse 6 through 9 says this, The heavens were made by the word of the Lord, and all the stars by the breath of his mouth. He gathers the waters of the sea into a heap. He puts the depths into storehouses. Let the whole earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. For he spoke, and it came into being. He commanded, and it came into existence. Can I tell you the problem? If I don't take Genesis 1 literally, if I don't take it literal that God said let it be, and it was, then I'm going to start to lack a sense of awe. I should have a sense of awe when I think about my Creator. When I think about at this very moment the perspective that you should have sitting in a pew on an earth that is spinning 67,000 miles per hour around the sun, that is orbiting the center of our galaxy at 500,000 miles per hour, in a galaxy that is flying through space at 1.3 million miles per hour, and you sit there and you feel none of it. In fact, you breathe air that is kept down by the atmosphere of the gravity because God-shaped our earth in a way that creates gravity, that holds our atmosphere down, but not so much gravity that if you jump, you float away, and not too much gravity that it crushes you or enables you not to walk around. And not just that, but we have this sun. I, I used to think that, how does the sun just not burn up, right? It's because it's nuclear explosions, it's nuclear fusion. So we have this sun in space that's warming us, and it should burn us, but God put a metallic core and made it magnet. So we have this electromagnetic field that shields the earth like a force field so we're not burned up and given all this radiation poisoning because God put a force field around the earth. The air we breathe, the sun over us, these are to name a few things of the awesomeness of creation that God just spoke and it was. And if I start to undergird that, then I start to miss the awesomeness of God that one thing God did in creation was create and I sit here today, stand here today, you sit here today, and you exist because a God at one time in human past spoke and things came to be. That is an awesome thing that we ought not miss out. The implication of this is we have an awesome creating God. And maybe there's someone here who you've been troubled by science because they presented theories of, as fact and it seemed real to you. I'm saying this is truth. There is a self-existent one who can speak in galaxies. They think there's a hundred billion galaxies. A hundred billion plus. That's, that's just what we can see right now. We're going to see if the James Webb says, oh, actually, we just have no idea how many galaxies are out there. There's just so many. But at least a hundred billion galaxies. Galaxies, not solar systems, galaxies. These things filled with, with planets and worlds, and we just, we just have no idea. God spoke, and it was, and he's not just the standoff God. He's a God who knows you by name, knows the, the hairs on your head, the days of your life. I'm telling you, if you take away the power of creation, then you take the, away the awe that our God deserves. And he deserves it. So, if I haven't made it clear what's the big deal, we're going to look at that next. Turn back to Genesis chapter 1 and look at verse 3 with me. Genesis chapter 1, verse 3. Then God said, let there be light, and there was light. God saw that the light was good. I'm just going to stop there. Go down to verse 9. Then God said, 
Let the water under the sky be gathered into one place, and let the dry land appear, and it was so. God called the dry land earth, and the gathering of the water he called seas, and God saw that it was good. Do you hear what I'm highlighting? God's assessment of his creation. Look at verse 12. The earth produced vegetation, seed-bearing plants according to their kinds, and trees bearing fruit with seed in it according to their kinds, and God saw that it was good. Look at verse 17. God placed them in the expanse of the sky to provide light on the earth, to rule the day and the night, and to separate light from darkness. And God saw that it was good. Look at verse 21. So God created the living sea or the large sea creatures and every living creature that moves and swarms in the water according to their kinds. He also created every winged creature according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. Look at verse 25. So God made the wildlife of the earth according to their kinds, the livestock according to their kinds, and all the creatures that crawl on the ground according to their kinds, and God saw that it was good. Now you may be wondering, why does Obi want me to hear like 10 times it was good? I'll tell you in a second. Verse 31, at the end of his creation, God saw all that he had made, and it was very good indeed. Evening came, and then morning, the sixth day. You see, God did not just create God also assessed. God made an assessment of his creation. When he speaks these things into existence, have you ever created anything that just like, that didn't turn out how I planned? I've got this uh, candle holder that my mom has at home that um, I'm just going to be honest. She thinks I made most of it. I, I used the wood lathe in shop class in eighth grade, and then I hated sanding, and so my shop teacher, like, he really liked me, and so he finished it for me. Uh, sorry, Mom, if that uh, disappoints you, but sometimes we create things that aren't any good, right? Sometimes we create things that are junk. Sometimes we create things that's like, yeah, I would throw that away too. One of the joys of being a parent is uh, you're supposed to, like, take every piece of artwork that your kid gives you, and you're like, oh, what a masterpiece, right? Sometimes they're not masterpiece, and I— my wife is more gentle than me. I'm the type that I'm just like, okay, I'm going to keep it for a day. <laughs> I just tell them that. I'm, I like to set expectations early on. Otherwise, I'd have like a thousand things every week that I have to keep. So i just like, I'll keep it for a day. I'll throw it away tomorrow. God saw his creation that it was good. And here's the important part for you and for me. We're part of his creation. Now, don't hear me say that we're just good. Hear me say that God assesses his creation. The God looks upon us. One of the most terrifying parts, I think, of Scripture come in Daniel and Revelation. I say this to my young adults all the time, that there's a part in both those books where it says the books were open. And then John, in the book of Revelation, makes a distinction that there's the books were open and then the book of life was open. So a distinction between those. The books, I believe, are a record of everything we've ever done. That one day I'm going to stand before God who assesses his creation and I will be assessed. Whether I'm good, whether I'm not. And the problem is we know that we're not. The problem is we know that we've sinned and fallen short of God's glory, of his standard. But God assesses and he says it was good. And so you may ask the next, well then where did it all go wrong, right? You might think I'm going to go to Genesis 3 in the fall, but I actually think Genesis 1 contains the precursor to how anything was allowed to fall at all. So let's look again at Genesis chapter 1, and I'm going to start in verse 3. Genesis chapter 1, verse 3. It says, Then God said, Let there be light. And there was light. 
God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. I'm going to talk to you about separation for a second. You're going to see two types of separation in here. There's going to be some times where God just says, let it be separate, and then by his, his powerful force, they separate. Then there's going to be a second type of separation where he makes distinctions between things. I'll give you an example. Look at verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. There's a distinction between the heavens and the earth. He didn't say separate them. He just made them distinct things. The heavens are a thing. The earth is a thing. So you see that, and then you see in verse 4, God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. Now look at verse 6. Then God said, Let there be an expanse between the waters, separating water from water. So God made the expanse and separated the water under the expanse from the water above the expanse, and it was so. So that one's a little confusing about what did God actually do there. It seems like everything's just water. And so what it seems like is that's where God created the sky. And then there was water on the earth. So it seems like the earth was just covered in water, that that's the existence of earth. So what you have here is a moment in time where God begins to impart physics on the earth, that he starts to make things separate and organize them. The, the heavens and the earth already existed, but he starts to separate and make distinctions. So look at verse 9 now. Then God said, let the water under the sky be gathered into one place and let the dry land appear. And it was so. God called the dry land earth and the gathering of the water he called seas and God saw that it was good. So you see here now a further application of physics where he actually makes pools of water or at least one pool of water and he separates that from land which is interesting because like I said I'm kind of I like space type things and if you start to research into that and are there other planets that can uh, contain life? That's always the big question with people who are interested in space, right? Well, one of the things that we look for is, is a planet in the Goldilocks zone of its star? So you know the, the old story, the Goldilocks, the porridge is not too hot, not too cold, it's just right. Well, planets have to be in a zone where it's just right temperature, not so hot that all the water evaporates, not so cold that all the water freezes. It needs to be just right so that water can pool. You hear what God did? The very thing that we in science look for life, God established right here. He says, verse 9, Then God said, Let the water under the sky be gathered into one place and let the dry land appear. God pulled water right here. The thing that is required for life to exist, God did that right here. And then stop there. Look at verse 14. Then God said, Let there be lights in the expanse of the sky to separate the day from the night. So lights in the expanse of the sky. We're not told, because he had already created the heavens and the earth in verse 1, so we're not told here were there already planets and things like that, and now he just ignited suns. We're not told that. But the very physics that I talked about earlier and everything that I don't know about, but an earth that travels at 67,000 miles per hour, a galaxy that travels at 500,000 miles per hour, a, a galaxy that moves through space at 1.3 million miles per hour. They, they say through Hubble that, that there's at least, at least 100 billion galaxies out there. All these things in motion, and yes, there's chaos and, and disorder sometimes, 
But there is symmetry and harmony and, and, and beauty. And, and there's a reason that, that we haven't just crashed into the sun. It's because when God said, let there be these things, he also made separations, distinctions, and he put things in their orbit. And he, and he created limitations and control and order out of what otherwise would be chaos because there's an intelligent God who said to do these things. And he, all he had to do was speak, and they happened. And you're sitting in the middle of this creation right now, breathing his air experiencing the warmth, not as much warmth today, but experiencing the warmth of his son and his universe. So look again at verse 14. God said, let there be lights in the expanse of the sky to separate the day from the night. They will serve as signs for seasons and for days and years. So he established our calendars too. They will be lights in the expanse of the sky to provide light on the earth. And it was so. God made two greater light or great lights. The greater light to rule over the day and the lesser light to rule over the night as well as the stars. So this is one of those examples where he didn't just say, let things be separate. He just by name created distinctions. The lesser light and the greater light, the moon and the sun and the stars. In this moment, that's when God created these things. Look at verse 17. God placed them in the expanse of the sky to provide light on the earth, to rule the day and the night, and to separate light from darkness. Now, I read you all those things and talked about physics for a reason. Because the next thing is going to be true too. You see, when God created, he didn't just create, he assessed it to be good. But he didn't just say it's good with any parameters. He set limitations and boundaries and created order and rules and laws. We know this. If I drop my Bible, it falls because of gravity. This is a law of God. We call it physics, but it's a law of God that he spoke and it happened. And just as true as those physics, as as our solar system, as the galaxy, as the universe, just as true as all the, the physics rules that govern, so is this next thing. Look at verse 26. Then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. They will rule the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, the livestock, the whole earth, and the creatures that crawl on the earth. So God created man in his own image. He created him in the image of God. He created them male and female. So I want you to hear three things. And and this point that I've been trying to make is, yeah, God created, God assessed, but God also separated. And just as we saw him separate things in physics, he separated three things here. There's a distinction between man and animal. Now, this isn't a hot-button issue as much nowadays. It used to be more of a hot-button issue. This isn't to say that God doesn't care about his creatures. Animal torture, things like that are wrong. But it is to say that man bears an important and distinct position in the eyes of God. That there is greater intrinsic worth of humans over animals. That there is that our life is worth protecting. This is why I'm not going to read it today, but if you went into chapter 9 of Genesis, he would make a distinction that murder is wrong, but we're allowed to kill and eat animals. There is a distinction between human and animals, but that's not the only distinction he made here. He made a distinction between man and woman. Just as true as the laws of physics, so are true his distinctions. And his distinction 
of man and animal is true, and his distinction of man and woman is true. And I'm telling you, a lot of the times when we sin, it's because we exceed his limitation. If you look at the church overall, not just picking on the fluidity that our, our society ascribes to genders, but just sexual purity, the, the breaking of limitations even within the church, let's not talk about the world. The world's supposed to look like the world. Let's talk about the church, Christians. The breaking of the limitations of God is what causes the harm. It's what causes the sin. And there is a distinction in Scripture about man and woman. Now, this isn't to say that this isn't to say people don't have difficulties. Right? I just mentioned sexual sin. Clearly, as creatures in a fallen world, we have difficulties. But here's the thing: God didn't say we'd be without difficulties. What he did was set limitations. You see, when, as a father, when, when my kids, when they want to do something that I know is bad for them, I'm not ignoring the fact that they want to do it. What I'm saying is there's a better way. We, we've gotten to a point in society where we think that if I have an impulse, I must fulfill it. And it's not true. I have all sorts of wrong impulses that I should not fulfill. In fact, there are things that, that if I do them, they are always wrong. I should never fulfill them. God sets limitations on his creation. And the last distinction here that I see in this passage is he makes a distinction between man and God. That yes, he created us in his image, and that means things like our ability to have relationships, to love, to think, our cognitive ability, our self-awareness. All those types of things are in his image. But there is a distinction by name between God and man. And the reason that's important, the implications of that is you're not God of your life. So even if you have impulses that would like to exceed God's boundaries, it doesn't matter because you don't have authority over you. There is a God who spoke all things into existence, including the air you breathe. There is a God by whom all things consist, which means you are held together at this very moment by him. It's his authority, his word that matters. So what do we do with all this? I want to read a few more verses and then we'll be done. Look again at verse 26. Then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. They will rule the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, the livestock, the whole earth, and the creatures that crawl on the earth. So God created man in his own image. He created them in, his, in the image of God. He created them male and female. Verse 26 there, when it says they will rule the fish of the sea, etc. What God did was give man dominion. So this, this fourth thing that God did, he, let me turn my notes over, God purposed. When we think about our life and, and God speaking all things into existence, I could just think I'm sitting here in this pew and I just need to endure 2021 and 2022. And when I want to have perspective, I just need to think, how can I get through this? And I'm telling you that's the wrong perspective. What I'm saying is in, in any situation, we're here for a purpose. When God created Adam and Eve, he didn't just say, here's this utopia, do nothing. It was a utopia at this time. There was no reason for them to work. There wasn't sin. But God had them work. I do premarital counseling. I, I talk about Genesis chapter 2. It, it again repeats this, this call to work where Adam's naming the animals. And, and Eve, when she's brought in, it's to be his helper. Not just like his, his Netflix buddy who watches TVs, but his helper. When God brought you into this world, it was not to just experience it, to live through it. It's to do his work. 
Now, unless you're a farmer or a gardener, the work's not agriculture, right, like it was for them. But you still exist to do the work of God. That is your purpose. So when God creates, God assesses, God separates, God also purposed in his creation that you would work, that you would work to bring his glory known to man. And so I've got a a passage from Isaiah. They're going to put it up on the screen that kind of summarizes this. Isaiah 42, verses 5 through 8 says this, This is what God, the Lord, says, who created the heavens and stretched them out, who spread out the earth and what comes from it, who gives breath to the people on it and spirit to those who walk on it. I am the Lord. I have called you for a righteous purpose, and I will hold you by your hand. I will watch over you, and I will appoint you to be a covenant for the people and a light to the nations in order to open blind eyes to bring out prisoners from the dungeon and those sitting in darkness from the prison house. I am the Lord. That is my name, and I will not give my glory to another or my praise to idols. Now, this was written about Israel. Israel was supposed to be a light to other people, to bring them out of darkness, out of the dungeon, out of prison, out of the captivity of their sin, out of the captivity of their ignorance, of the God of creation. And in the New Testament, that is bestowed upon Christians. You see, when God created you, he purposed you. And he says, you are to make my name known. You're to be a light in the darkness. You're to show other people me, to bring glory to God through your life. So as you think of how you're going to go through the next year, as you think of the perspective that what if the worst things happen, what if the best things happen, okay, your purpose hasn't changed. You're still created by a God who created the air you breathe, who keeps your heart going, who he says even your spirit, he put the spirit in you. He did that. You serve the same God that no matter what tragedy befalls, no matter what joys and triumphs you experience, you have the same purpose. It's to bring glory to God. But what if you don't know God? I want to read a last thing. Look at Genesis chapter 1, verse 28. I will go to 29, actually. God also said, look, I've given you every seed-bearing plant on the surface of the entire earth and every tree whose fruit contains seed. This will be food for you, for all the wildlife of the earth, for every bird of the sky, and for every creature that crawls on the earth, everything having the breath of life in it, I have given every green plant for food. The last thing God does is he provides. So maybe today you're sitting here and you've never considered creation as a viable option. Maybe for the first time you're hearing that this is how the world came to be. This is why you sit there. That there is this amazingly, incomprehensibly powerful God that can just speak in all things that we don't even know about come to be. But he's not a standoffish God. He's a God who loves you. He's a God who provides. That in, in Genesis, he provided. And he's been doing that ever since. And so as Scripture talks about the fact that we are sinners fallen short of the glory of God, that we cannot inherit God's kingdom. We cannot inherit eternal life apart from him. That's why he provided his son. His son, Jesus Christ, came and lived a perfect life on earth earth, and died in our place. If the wages of sin is death or the earnings of sin is death, something has to die for sin. And that's what Jesus did for you. And so what scripture says is that you need to invite him into your life. You need to confess your sins and give your life to him, believing in his death, burial, and resurrection as sufficient for your sins. That's what I pray you do today. Let's pray. Father God, I pray for someone right here 
who is sitting there breathing your air and maybe has previously denied your existence. As we sit in your creation, also being part of your creation, God, we have a world filled with people who deny you. And maybe there has been someone like that here today. I pray, God, that today has given them a sense of awe of you. But then also a sense of love from you. That you're not just a God who spoke, created, and then assessed and found us unworthy so that you disregarded us. But you loved us so much you sent your son to die to save us. You're an amazing creator who created it perfectly. We messed it up. And you sent your son to restore. And so I pray today that there'd be someone in this room who gives their life to you, that if they have questions about that, they would go after the service, talk to Pastor Doug or myself, and we'd tell them how they can know you. Praise Jesus' name. Amen.